Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friends and colleague Michael Dwyer. Michael, how have you been? I'm fine, Gary, and how are you? I'm good. I'm mentally preparing myself for a show that has to be as good as any two of our normal shows, because I'm not going to be here next week. Say it ain't so. No, the EBI is bringing a small group of students over to America, as we do uh, every year, and so I will be away on that. And God knows Michael can't do this on his own, so there will be no show. Thought, but I just won't. I mean, that seems like a fine distinction. Well, I don't care how kind of distinction this is, but it's a fact. I kind of feel that you should do one on your own, because if you recall, there was one day where you didn't turn up, and I had to spend, I think, 45 minutes talking about the uh, innate joy and beauty of the world. It was what we would call a slow news day. You made everybody's life more lovely and richer, so, you know, brings it around to us, Gary. So now with all the happiness out of the way, let's talk about rape, Michael. So you're talking about the statistics that are on the the crime stats, I I imagine, here. Yeah, so I did a, a piece for Grip during the week and I'll I'll put a link below and in it I looked at how the crime rates had changed in relation to certain offences mostly sexual offences since Fine Gael took power so since Fine Gael took power in 2011 obviously there have been various formations of government but Fine Gael have held the justice ministry uh, through the entire thing so I went I'm going to look back and see how the party of law and order is doing in relation to law and order. And there are certain crimes that have dramatically decreased, like burglary. I mean, Michael, the the burglary numbers from 2010 are just, they're incredible. Like 28,000 a year kind of thing. But what I did was I grabbed the CSO data from uh, 2003, I think, to date. 2021 is the last year we have data for. And I went through them and I found some interesting things, Michael. And I'll, I'll put the link to this CSO database in the uh, in the description of this um, of this episode. So you guys can look at it if you want. You can go into it and look at it offence by offence and year by year. So I found that since Fine Gael have taken power, sexual offences uh, or the amount of sexual offences recorded has gone up substantially. That's since 2011. It's um, it's a lot, Michael. And then I found that things like rape have doubled. In, that's over like a 10-year period. And then I saw that um, other stats have also gone very, very high. Like... Uh, defilement of a boy or girl less than 17 year old substantially up sexual offenses involving mentally impaired people substantially up when you say substantially can you give, give can you give us a number so in 2011 when Fine Gael came in there were 14 recorded offenses of a sexual offense involving a mentally impaired person in 2018 there were 43 so that's three times the number no broadly you're you're this you're a stats kind of person, so just clear. Is this is it possible that you're dealing with such a small number that statistical variations are expected? Absolutely, and there'll be cases where you know, let's say, let's take defilement of a boy or girl less than seventeen years old. Two thousand and twenty saw the highest number for that since two thousand and eight, but two thousand and twenty one was only something like the seventh highest in that period. So. You, Ireland, in a lot of these, has quite a small number of cases, particularly murders. So you can see rapid up and down movements. But what a lot of these seem to suggest is not just movement, but trends. So if we take, Michael, um, defilement of a boy or girl less than 17 years old, these are the, the years which had the highest number. And I'll just go through the top five. 2020, 2019, 2018, 2016, 2007. 
the lowest years 2006 7 8 13 and 9 now that's not a that indicates that there is a strong trend of growth here let's take 2008 there are 79 cases of a defilement or of a boy or girl less than 17 years old and i should say again these are recorded cases these are cases that the guards have by 2020 there were 225 what are we talking about here are we talking about cases that were reported and prosecuted and, con- and where convictions were were achieved or where there were prosecutions were taken and then we don't know what the outcome was or are these simply reports that were made that the Gardaí investigated? These are crimes that have been recorded on Pulse, on the Garda system. So they're, they're things that have been investigated. Now, we don't have how many of these led to convictions. So that could be a thing here. The The amount of cases recorded as an investigated could be going up, but they could be you know, things where you're not seeing convictions or they could be spurious cases. I mean, Michael, you're talking about large numbers here. So if these are spurious cases, you're seeing, for some reason, massive increases in spurious cases. Now, the first thing I checked when I saw these was I checked the population growth over this period. And 2011 has a census and 2022 has a census. So you compare them against it. And yes, there's population growth. But I think the population growth was 11% off the top of my head. Something like that. Not enough to explain um, the kind of numbers you're seeing here. That's one part of this. There's the fact that these numbers seem to be going up. Now, as I said, not all crimes are going up. I'm going to do a fuller analysis of this. And I plan to do a piece comparing it to uh, what we've seen in Europe around the same time to see if there's any similar trends or what's happening here. But what I thought was particularly interesting about this, Michael, was we wrote the piece and we went to, you know, the the usual, the guards, the Department of Justice, the minister, the rape crisis centre, and we just went, why is this happening? Is there any explanation on file for what's happening here? And it was their answers I thought were particularly interesting because the answer generally, Michael, was this. And I'll give you the exact quote from this. Now, again, I had asked the department why sexual offences have gone up 75%, uh, why we've seen rapes double. And what they said is this. Historically, we know it has been the case that people have not come forward. And so the historical recorded statistics do not paint the full picture of sexual violence in this country. The minister notes that the recorded statistics for sexual offences have increased over time, creating a victim-centred justice system that supports and empowers victims of domestic, sexual and gender-based violence to come forward and report the crime has been a key priority for Minister McEntee since she took office. The minister hopes that the fact more victims are coming forward to report what happens on them is indicative of a growing trust among victims that they will be supported and they will be protected when they report their experience. So if I can say that what's in synthetically what they're saying is that this is actually a success. That what's happening is that the actual number of, cr- of sexual crimes that's occurring is probably not going up at all. But because of the policies that are being pursued by the department and by the minister, by the government, more and more people who historically would not have reported these crimes have felt comfortable and happy, well, comfortable in going to the Gardaí and reporting these crimes to be investigated. So while there appears to be a trend of an increase in crime, what we actually see is an increase in people who feel empowered to report the crime. Now, what is their basis for saying that? You're right, that that is what they're saying, and that could be a legitimate explanation for what's happening. The problem I have here is, Michael, is that every one of these organisations I followed on with, do you have any research 
or evidentiary base that examines this and that can support that, I don't get responses. And I've had a look, and while they might have some research, I've never been, I haven't been able to find any reference to it. And it looks, Michael, now I will say, you know, I may not be absolutely right on this, they may just have decided not to get back or they may have forgotten in all of these instances, or maybe they have stuff and they just don't want to disclose it. It appears to me that all of these organizations are making this statement with absolutely no evidence to show that it's correct. And the problem there is that if they're assuming that the increases are because they're doing so fantastically and they're wrong, they're basically patting themselves on the back and telling themselves what a good job while these crimes actually become far more common, which would be, Michael, in in classical terms, a bad thing. Are you saying that there's a, shall we say, it's possible that because off the top of their heads, they can't actually think of a reason why these crimes are going up, say, for example, in the context of crimes against crimes against property for like say burglary in decline, but on the other hand, sexual crimes, crimes of sexual violence, increasing and not just increasing, but increasing substantially. And they don't really have an answer why that might be the case. So in absence of another reason that they can think of, they say, well, they, it must be this. It must be just that people are reporting it because, well, we can't think of any other reason rather than saying that they're doing this on the basis of some kind of empirical research that they've conducted. Yes, that that's exactly what appears to be happening. There seems to be a sort of, well, we, we have all these programs and we believe they've caused cultural change. And they could be right, Michael. In fact, I would probably hope they're right. Because if they're not right, what we've actually seen is a dramatic upsurge in sexual crime. And everyone involved is patting themselves on the back and telling themselves that no, in fact, they're doing fantastically and that's why the numbers are going up. It just, it, it struck me in a very certain, just a very certain way that this is a serious thing that deserves serious research. So for instance, the department says that uh, the minister is commissioning a new survey on the prevalence of sexual violence. I was able to find reports from 2019 which said that that survey was going to be carried out. So three years, Michael, and we haven't quite gotten around to actually looking into this to see what's actually happening. We've just spent that entire time assuming not only is this not a problem, it's indicative of the success of our programs, which is um, a level of comfort. And it also just strikes me as remarkably unserious. But you might say that is the hallmark of this government of um, the administrations we've seen since 2011, maybe even before that, but certainly of this one, that it's an incredible lack of serious. We've heard a lot about this minister's commitment to address the whole issue of gender-based violence, for example. But if you're looking at a statistic which suggests a massive increase in crimes of sexual violence, the large proportion of which, Gary... I imagine are crimes committed against women. Oh no, no, ab- absolutely. Well, if that's your, if you, that's your concern. If you, this is something that you really are. Well, surely you see these figures and you, 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 you say, well, we have to find out what's going on here. You have, we have to have some kind of serious discussion about this. We have to have a, 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 a national conversation about this because there is some something very, very worrying and very problematic. Unless you have some kind of proper hard-nosed reason to suggest that actually this is a question, not of an increase in crime, but in an increasing reporting. You know, if you, if you don't have a good hard reason to suggest that, but then that's, as I say, that displays a terrific, disturbing lack of seriousness. 
And it's also perhaps indicative that a hell of a lot of what this talk is is simply performative rather than actual a manifestation of a genuine care. I mean, the thing I found particularly interesting, and if I was in the department, I would find particularly worrying, is that some of the sexual offences do not seem like the sort of sexual offences where a reduction in stigma was really a concern. I mean, you can argue that certain ones may have more of, of there may have been more of a stigma there on reporting it. But things like the, the sexual offences involving mentally impaired people, was there a terrible stigma on that up to 2008? I don't think so. Well, the stigma that there would have been, I can't see that that has, would have desperately changed because the stigma would have been about the fact that most of those crimes would have been committed either by family members or caregivers rather than strength. I mean, that seems to be the pattern in these kinds of crimes. In what I've read, and I, maybe I'm off the, ball, the base there completely, and therefore there's a, there is sometimes a problem with getting people to reward those crimes, but that hasn't changed. I mean, the the notion that there was a stigma attaching to a person who was with some kind, with a mental impairment that be, who had been sexually assaulted, I, I, I can't see that there's been some radical change in the assessment of the stigma attaching to that person. Do you think there's stigma around this one? Kidnappings. 2005, 74 kidnapping and uh, related offences recorded. 2021, 170. So more than doubled. More than doubled. Abduction of a person under uh, 16 years of age. 2006, 12. 2021, 34. So it's not just... You know, there are crimes that may have a sexual component that but. Your false imprisonment has gone from 58 in 2008 to 107 in 2020. These are increasing year on year, Michael. So if we're doing the whole, well, we've created a, a cultural change or we've implemented policies to increase trust. If that was the case, let's say it was due to a policy that the government had implemented that um, made victims more likely to come forward. You would expect to see a relatively static line and then a step up because the policy came in then and it had an impact. And maybe then you'd get a tail to it, but you wouldn't expect just a straight upward trajectory uh, over time. Like you wouldn't expect a slope like that. But when you look at, we were talking about rapes. 2003, there are 325 rapes. Which in 2008, there are 332. Relatively stable for the most part. 2021, there were 893. <laughs> 893. Rape of a male or female recorded on the pulse system. Yeah. Up from 300 and something. 325. So you're not quite tripling, Michael, but you're not far off. And also, we're not talking about like going from 6 to tw- to 16 or something here. And you're talking about trip- almost tripling from a, a significant corpus of crime already. I mean, this, that, this is not a, st- that's not a statistical glitch. No, no. As, as I said, if you look at the top five years for rape in the last, since 2003, 2021, 2019, 18, 20, 17. The lowest years, 6, 9, 7, 8, 3. So in the piece, I said that it had nearly doubled because I took 2011 at the starting rate. But if you go back to 2008, yeah, you're looking at nearly a tripling. You know, e- even if there had been a level of success at, uh, regarding the issue of taking away stigma attached to uh, rape and our concerns about the nature of what a victim of rape will have to endure with uh, an investigation and or a prosecution, even allowing that advances had been made in those areas, I, I just I wasn't aware I was at being alive in Ireland at that time of such a culture change that was going to would generate that kind of leap in the numbers that that just doesn't seem credible in the face of it. 
to ascribe that kind of increase in the numbers of this kind of sexual violence against women simply to a culture change regarding the way these crimes are reported and then processed. That just does not seem credible. No, and I mean, I, I had a bit of a back and forth with the Department of Justice on this. They went into, you know, the programs McEntee has brought in. They went into the victim-centered thing, but no evidence. And when I asked them for any evidence, they came back and said, we're going to do a survey. Since 2003, rape has nearly tripled in this country. Or at least the amounts of rape offenses recorded on police systems have nearly tripled. And the government's response is to publish a survey. Now, Michael, I know I'm, you know meant to be on the conservative, heartless side of things. But I do feel that we should probably fucking look into that a bit sooner. And perhaps Michael should have looked into that already. And it was this sense of just comfort from when I was talking to people about this. And it was a sort of, oh, well, of course it's this. And then you go, well, how do you know that? And there's a sort of, well, what else could it be? To which you have to say, well, I don't know. Perhaps you should look and find out rather than just assuming that this is nothing. So the answer, the answer to the question, how do you know this is because we're going to do a study. And considering this was supposed to have been done when they're talking about doing this three years ago, they still haven't started doing it. God bless. So it's, there's actually two studies just to clarify here. There's going to be a national sexual violence survey which is going to come out in 2023. And then there's going to be the CSO is going to do the National Domestic Violence Prevalence Study. I'm still at a loss, Gary, here to understand how either of these studies, which haven't yet been done, are useful in telling us why this almost tripling of rapes has occurred. I I don't know, but I've I've gone through old articles that bring this up. And when they quote the Rape Crisis Centre, when they quote the minister, when they quote the police, it is always the same thing. And it's always phrased in a way where it sounds like they're saying it's due to this, but it's always hedged. Always a little bit of a, um, well, it could be this. And but why wouldn't why wouldn't they ask the question? I mean, and genuinely asking spec- for a speculation. I mean, if you have one, why? Okay, fine. The, the natural tendency will be one that they will want to ascribe a positive reason to this, and that reason should attach to their own good works and good offices. That's a natural human thing. But you'd imagine that they'd want to say, well, that could well be the case. Also, there may be other reasons, and we should look into that. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't they want check? Why wouldn't they want to try and find out? Don't ex- I don't accept. I don't accept on the face on the face of it. I don't accept that it's plausible to suggest this. Some this culture change can be uh, an explanation for an almost. 300% increase in rape. That just doesn't seem plausible to me. And I don't understand why, if this is your job, if your job is trying to protect citizens from sexual violence and to persecute, prosecute those who are guilty of it, why you wouldn't want to know what the hell is happening, which see, because if these figures are are, are indeed representative of an increase in this kind of sexual violence. This is a, uh, something happening in the culture. This is something happening within the society. And we need to have some kind of handle. What the hell is going on? Uh, well, we don't. And um, bar 2023 and then a five-year recurring survey, we're not going to... I just... <laughs> The thing, the thing that was most notable to me, as I, as I said, Michael, and I know I'm kind of repeating myself here, was the level of comfort. The sort of, these are massive increases. These are things that if this reflects an actual increase in crime, are impacting on massive, massive quantities of people. And if you're right, that only a very small amount of these crimes are being reported, and this is actually indicative of crime rates going up, 
then it's going up by an even larger number if only a few people are reporting it. And there just seems to be no drive to actually figure out. There's just, we assume we know what's happening here, and we're pretty good with that. And it's just, it seems, it's what I expect from this government, by and large. But I would have thought, with something like this, you'd shake it off. Because you, you should shake it off. You should know what is happening here, because you need to know. Because if it's not what you think it is, well, lads, you're the government, and if rapes have nearly tripled in 20 years, maybe you should see if there's something you can do about that. Yeah, that may be an idea. But anyway, I I wanted to bring it up partially because I don't think it's being reported on a lot. And when I went, I wasn't aware of it before I started looking into it, and I just basically started looking into it because I was curious. But there have been statistics looking at kind of year-on-year increases and how bad they're getting. But I don't think anything that's looked over Fine Gael's entire tenure. So I did that, and then the reason why I'll keep going at it is because I found the conduct of the organizations that should be dealing with this, the people that should be dealing with it, to just not be what it should be. Like, it just does not feel right, their approach to this. Or serious, really, in any fashion. Only unserious, indeed. But anyway, from that, and as I said, I'll put the CSO uh, database uh, link in below, and you can go in that, and it'll show you the offenses by year, by type, by the station, if you want them. But we've got it all ready, so you may as well look at it. So, Michael, you want to talk about this, uh, the latest piece of polling, which seems to basically just be a confirmation of all the other trends. Just a, a very quick look. I mean, we should mention it because the nice people in the Irish Times went to the, the bother of doing one, so it would seem rude not to mention it, Gary. Guess what? Sinn Féin is up. Sinn Féin is on 36% and this is the Irish Times. I, one thing you have to say at this at this point, Gary, and we you all the usual caveats, and I think we maybe even said this the last time, all the usual caveats applying that this is a snapshot, a poll at this point when there isn't apparently a general election in the imminent offing does how much can it mean but at this stage there are four or is it possibly even five but certainly four opinion polls all of which have Sinn Féin on 36-37% there is a remarkable degree of unanimity about the strength of Sinn Féin Labour 4%, 4%, no change. Yet again, Labour, no change there, Gary. The Havana bounce is a very strange bounce indeed. Uh, Fine Gael down 4, which is the lowest they've had in this particular poll since 1994. Uh, Fine Gael down 3 to 20. This is the poll which has, I think, mostly given the highest results for uh, Fianna Fáil. Now, the one, if you want, okay, do you want a good, a, a good piece of news for the government on this? On this poll, the combined vote of the government parties, which is Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens, still comes out at 41%, which is five points ahead of Sinn Féin. So the, that's the good news. The thing that nobody was talking about, really, that everybody's talking about the Sinn Féin, understandably, but there are two things about this poll which I thought were, were, were interesting, worth commenting on. First was the independent others, right, which is up five to 20%. I don't know about you, Gary, but I've been listening for I don't know how long to the confident predictions from Fine Fáil and Fine Gael that, you know, that whole independent thing, it that's all going out. The, the tide is going out on that. People are losing faith in that notion. They're losing interest. I was talking to one person inside and they, who is, who who's changed his tune. He said, you know what? What we may be seeing there is simply core of, shall we say, a socially conservative, Christian Democrat, right-wing, economically kind of a vote, which just does not feel represented and isn't going anywhere else. And if anything else, 
if anything, we that this may be underestimating the independent vote, particularly in rural areas. We'll see what the winter is like with you know with energy and all that. Now the the other big one, as I think Gary, a lot of people have been talking about the fact that Sinn Fein is get where it's getting its votes from. But one of the areas that historically it has been less successful at up to now has been to break make that breakthrough with the middle class vote. Right? I think this is the first poll we've seen where Sinn Féin has been ahead of either Fine Fáil or Fine Gael in the ABC1 voter. If memory serves, it may be wrong, I think they're on 26%. It's very, it's very bunched. It's like 26, 25, 24% for the three parties. But they're a point ahead. What you were saying about the independents, there's a decent bit of research on the people who vote for independence in Ireland and the sort of political space they fill. And that, yes, they do tend to fill that sort of, I'd say kind of populist conservative space. Uh-huh. They tend to be, you know, socially conservative or socially conservative enough kind of old-fashioned more than anything else often not really ideological and kind of populist on the economic matters if you look at now when we talk about the independence we're, we're not talking here about the section here we were talking about say people before profit or whatever we're talking mostly pretty well rural independence they tend to be what we would have historically called say Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael gene pool mm. and it's simply the case that these are very often people who feel disengaged or disconnected from what might be described as the more sort of Dublin-centric politics and the more they are lectured in fact about what bad people they are for voting for certain shall we say apparently disreputable TDs the more it, re- it confirms their opinion that all, all that's actually going on is a certain amount of urban disrespect for their opinions and it just confirms them in their desire to vote for these people a hell of a lot of these people are are, 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 are I mean the TDs are very definitely very obviously Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil gene pool it was historically mostly Fianna Fáilers but it, more and more Fine Gael Fine Gaelers coming into that gene pool there and the funny thing is once they get established as independents they become very good at attracting votes from either if they were historically war Fianna Fáil, they get Fine Gael votes as well and vice versa if they were Fine Gael they're getting Fianna Fáil votes in there as well my my concern about the independence is this and it's not directly related to poll but it's about the independence so we may as well mention it if you're looking at things not in the view of this poll michael but in the longer structural kind of things the independents take a lot of the votes that would in most countries go to sort of a right-wing fairly populist kind of party yeah and instead it's split across all these independents who are individually many of them michael lovely and good tv tds but are very difficult to get to work together Herding cats is the phrase that's most commonly used. So while these independents give a voice to a group of people who are not really represented otherwise in the doll, there's a question of, in the long term, are these people going to be effectively a structural roadblock? Because what I will suspect we'll see happening over the longer term is Sinn Féin will get into government. Once it is in government, the things it has said to different groups don't really work with what they've told other groups will start to become a problem because you start needing to deliver on things and people start realising relatively quickly if you're not going to deliver on them. And Sinn Féin will lose some of their votes. They'll fracture. Most likely amongst the old, uh, along the old Sinn Féin, new Sinn Féin lines. And the people who break off from Sinn Féin you would expect in most places would go into some sort of, you know, rural kind of party or, you know, old-fashioned party. 
kind of the same people who would vote for the independence. And it's at that point, I think, where structurally the country would be, it would be the easiest to set up a successful kind of conservative party. But that may not happen, even if that split happens, if people are just drawn to independence and you end up with just you know, a dozen new independents. Yeah, I mean, what you, I think you're suggesting is that if and when Sinn Féin get into government, in the words of Karl Marx, the internal contradictions will become manifest and that will lead to a splintering or fracturing within within Sinn Féin, or at least with Sinn Féin's support base. I, I can happily, um, well, happily maybe is the wrong word, but I can easily foresee a situation in the not-too-distant future where the country will be effectively ungovernable, or not ungovernable, but the formation of a government is going to become incredibly difficult. And the formation of a government which is stable and can stay in government for five years is going to become incredibly challenging. I mean, we had the case in, was it in, in, well, remember in the case in Belgium, how long did it take for them to form a government? The last time, I think it was like, it was more than a year. It was, wasn't it? Year, year, year and a half. Now, I don't know if constitutionally, because we don't have a king, Michael D is not yet king. I don't know how that would work here. I don't think it would work here. I think we would end up, it, we would end up go, just going back for another election after a failure to form a government. But or the, the other alternative is we, we, is we become Italy and we just keep having, you know, every every six months, 12 months, whatever, we just keep having election, 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 and this merry-go-round of people in government. And every so often, then when one small group fails to get whatever its pet project through, then they just pull the plug and away they go. Because if that 36%, that Sinn Féin vote, is in fact prone to fracture, and I, we've talked about this before on the podcast, and I think there are good reasons to believe that there are strong internal contradictions within that voter base. And those contradictions, those contradictions will become much more apparent in government. Then, yeah. I mean, we have research from 2016 or 2011 showing that um, Sinn Féin voters have the greatest distance from the party's stated policies of any of the parties in Ireland. And that's fine when you're outside government and you've never been involved. But when you get into government, can you maintain those people when your policies are very, very different to what they want? When you're not in, it's very easy to tell them anything. But when you start having results, then you need to start explaining those results. Also, when you start to implement policies of a certain kind that are just deeply and tip, uh, sort of antithetical to the values of a certain bun- bun- bunch of your voters, I know a number of. I'll give you an example. And it's anecdotal, so you know it may mean nothing. But I know a number of Sinn Féin voters who come from, shall we say, the green wing of the party rather than than the the red wing. Now, they, they may even be what you could call classically left-wing, but what they're not, Gary, is progressive. They're kind of old-fashioned lefties. They're not progressives, they're not woke, and they are very uncomfortable. I would go beyond uncomfortable. They are actively hostile to the woke progressive agenda. It's funny, for, for all I hear you know, people talking about cultural Marxism, the people on the left I know who are most vehemently against a lot of the woke stuff are the actual Marxists. They fucking hate it. Absolutely. The the two groups that you meet that are most coherently and consistently anti-woke, I would say, are the old-fashioned thought out sort of Burkean Tory types that I suppose you and I would fall into that category and the orthodox Marxists they hate this stuff they hate the identity politics stuff because it's a distraction from class politics 
And it's it, the whole ver the notion of intersectionality and the identitarian agenda is absolutely antithetical to the idea of class unity. So they really don't like it. And then you just have the you have you have this the, shall we say the red and green and the non-progressive shinners. But then you have the other shinners who really they were never that invested in the left wing project. They're not. They're certainly not, or they might be interventionist populist in their economics, but they're definitely not doctrinaire Marxists in any sense. What they are are hardline Republicans. That's their tradition. They're green, green rather than anything else. And again, for that group of people, I don't know how big that group is anymore in Sinn Féin, but it's still there. For them, again, this whole woke progressive agenda. Now, what Sinn Féin will actually do when it gets into government, Gary, who knows? You asked me a question a while ago, which I thought was a very pertinent, and that, I think, speaks to the, this issue about, say, the ABC one voter, because middle class, you know, that's, how long is a piece of string? Who is middle class? If you're earning 40 grand a year, 50 grand a year, you're middle class. But somebody who is earning 150 grand a year, 200 grand a year, they're middle class too. Now, you ask me the question, if you're earning 45 grand a year, who do you believe is more likely to give you a tax cut? Fine Gael Fine Gael or Sinn Féin? And my answer, my honest answer is if I were in that position, I would say Sinn Féin. Now, if I'm earning 150 grand a year, I'm far more likely to think Sinn Féin are going to come for me with an axe. But as voters go, there are far fewer of those than there are people earning between 40 and 50 grand. So the appeal... If you're, if what you're looking for, you're sick of the rest of them. You just, oh, get rid of them. I'm so sick of them. I don't want to hear any more nonsense from Fine Gael about cutting taxes and then they actually do nothing about it. I, you know what? I think Sinn Féin might actually cut my taxes. And the guy in 150 grand a year, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for him, but actually I'm not that sorry. As long as my taxes cut down, you know what the hell. And I think that may in part explain their breakthrough, along with just a general sense of tiredness and tedium regarding the 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 other parties. So, I mean, it continues to be terrible, terrible news for Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, and neither of them seem to have any idea how to actually arrest the tailspin they've gotten themselves into. All these stories, jeepers. They, you, you, you've seen the stories, I'm sure, about the, uh, the Fianna Fáil rebels, that they had the big meeting and they all got together. Half of the parliamentary party got together to have a discussion about what needs to be done. Do you know what the big idea is? Big idea for the rebels is we need to renegotiate the coalition agreement. Yeah, Gary, because that's going to do it. We're going to renegotiate the coalition agreement and that's going to save us all. Here's here's the thing about that, Michael. Let's say you, Finnefall, convinced itself to do that. And they go to Finnegale and they say, We're, we want to renegotiate. We have strong demands. And Finnegale says, no. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to bring down the government when you're polling somewhere in the teens? Because that, to me, would seem unwise. Yeah, turkeys and Christmas is what occurs to me at that stage. Yes, there's a little bit of, uh, you know the scene in Blazing Saddles where uh, the black chap gets to the town first and the townsfolk don't know their new sheriff is going to be black. And when he gets there, they start pulling guns and he stops them by putting a gun to his own head and saying that if they don't stop, he'll blow his head off. I do. It's very, very funny. If you're Fianna Fáil and you want to renegotiate, that's your position. And unfortunately for Fianna Fáil, I don't think the response of the Irish people is going to be as as dumb as the inhabitants of that particular frontier town. No, I if if Fianna Fáil were to come to me tomorrow with a hundred grand and say, "Listen, here's a hundred grand. Tell me the answer." I have no answers I, at this stage. I have no clue what they could possibly do. But what? 
All I can tell them is what you're doing now ain't working. It's it's like a man who has taken a bath in a sewage tank, asking you to advise him on how he can clean himself off. And really, your only answer should be, if I was you, I wouldn't have gotten into it to begin with. That would have probably been the best approach here. And you know what? Here's another piece of advice. Once you got out of it, don't get back in it again. No matter how many NGOs tell you there are votes at the bottom of that bathtub of shit, just don't get back in. The major things coming out of the Justice Department at the minute are things on hate crime, things of that nature. And actually, I don't know if you saw it, but McEntee managed to get herself wonderfully at the... uh, motion of of, uh, of no confidence. She stood up and said that Sinn Féin were unwilling to trust the Garda Commissioner about the special criminal court, and then said, and if they are willing to disregard the Garda Commissioner on one thing, what else are they willing to disregard him on? Which would be slightly more effective if McEntee hadn't decided to disregard the Garda Commissioner's advice on exclusion zones uh, for pro-life protests, because of course the Garda Commissioner said there was no need for the law the government is, is bringing... But I think it does raise the question, Michael. If she's willing to ignore the Garda Commissioner on that, what else is she willing to ignore the Garda Commissioner on? I'll ask you a hard, hard question, Gary. Once upon a time, when I would be, I was helping out a group of people who were trying to get themselves elected, and I failed miserably, much like them, I used to say, yeah, that's all very well when they come up with some lovely, bright new idea, but how many votes will that get you in Kilchabach? How many votes are Fianna Fáil going to get from supporting hate speech legislation? Their problem here is that I think there are votes in bringing in hate speech legislation. I just don't think there are votes for Fine Gael in bringing in hate speech legislation. The voters who are most enthused about it are not going to vote for Fine Gael anyway, because Fine Gael is a regressive, horrible right-wing party. And as many votes as Fine Gael won't get from it, I can tell you Fianna Fáil will get even fewer. Because Fine, Fine, Fine Gael does have a kind of that sort of liberal cosmopolitan D4, D4. D4, D6, D6, D2 vote, that kind of Monica Barnes, well, it was Monica Barnes, yeah, Monica Barnes, Alan Shatter, Gareth Fitzgerald kind of vote, but Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil, no, no, they just know is the answer, they will get nothing for it, but they will wave their flags, it's performance politics, but who the fuck are they performing for? It's like they, it's, it's like, these people, imagine you had a small theatre group in a small rural town and you said, right, you know what? We are going to really get people engaged in theatre in this. What are we going to do? Let's put on a play, a series of plays by Pinter and UNESCO. Because that's what the people, oh, and they get it all. And they may even get a glowing review from somebody who comes down from the Irish Times for the festival. But nobody in the town will go and see it. And those who do will come away saying, what in the name of God, did we give these people money for? Who are they performing for? They are not performing for people who will ever vote for them. Fine. You want to do things because they're the right thing to do. I'll give you a job to do, Gary. I'll give you, I'll empty my piggy bank and I'll give you, I'll give you a few notes and to go and stand outside Leinster House for a few days and take it as many Fianna Fáil TDs and Senators as you can. Well, we'll stick, we'll stick with TDs and bring them off and get them drunk. And you tell me how many Fianna Fáil TDs actually believe that hate speech legislation is the right thing to do. I'm not saying the number of people that will actually end up in voting for it, or even that will come out and make positive statements about it to the press, but people who actually believe that this is the right thing to do. If 10% 
of the Fianna Fáil parliamentary party, if five of them believe it's the right thing to do, I would be surprised. Now, did you specifically exclude the Fianna Fáil senators? Because you know there's a couple of lovies on that who would absolutely agree it's the right thing to do. You could say that I couldn't possibly comment. I think, Michael, we, sh- we should leave it on there. But I just on one final point on the order of operation. If you were the Minister for Justice and you wanted to propel yourself internally and present an image of you as having things in hand, maybe check out the the whole rape thing we were discussing and why that's happening before going to NGO tier stuff like hate speech. Because if you can solve the first thing, you'll actually look really good. And you know what? Just to be crude and rather basic about it, Gary, we're told because language is violence. Well, you know what? That's controversial and that's debatable. But I think that if we were to say rape is violence, that's fairly uncontroversial. So let's deal with the one that we all agree is a bad thing. We all agree is violence. And we all agree is an attack on women. Let's deal with that one. If that's if we're seeing a 300% increase in that, well, then maybe that should be our priority for now. And we'll worry about sticks and stones and breaking bones later on, shall we? I mean, as a, as a counterpoint to that, Michael, that could be difficult. That could involve looking at you know, demographic change. It could involve looking at the court system, the sentencing structure, the prisons. There could be you know, questions about... Yeah, I mean, there could be lots of questions. That could be a lot of work, Michael. And um, what of the last decade of this government, (laughs) at what point have you seen that these are people who can do that sort of work? Are you saying that solving the actual issue of violence against women might take more than simply marching in pride? It might even take, Michael, more than holding a press conference saying that you will have zero tolerance on violence against women. Which, Michael, I just, on this whole point, and again, I know I'm, I'm, you know, maybe laying this on thick, to hold a press release announcing that you will have zero tolerance on prote- on violence against women while these sorts of changes in the trends of sexual offences have happened and you haven't bothered to find out why is pretty grotesque on the face of it. Yeah, but in a world where politics is simply performative, it does not surprise. You know when you look at a politician and it's not that they're doing well or they're doing badly or their policies are good or bad, you look at them and all you can think is... Where is your self-respect? There are just certain things you should do and you should be on top of. And if you can't be on top of them, you should quit. And if you don't, it just seems like you do not respect yourself enough to hold yourself to the standards that you should be able to deliver. That's kind of sad. But then again, Michael, maybe this whole talk of holding people to standards and working at a certain level of competency is beyond some of our ministers. You may be aware there'd be some happenings in politics in the United Kingdom and the United States, there's always something happening. A, a well-known uh, Philly Gale TD tweeted that, you know, I was no, actually, sorry, Green, it was a Green, that, you know, whatever we think, at least we have higher standards in politics in Ireland than we do in, than they do over in Britain and America. And do you know what, Gary, for the first time in a long time, a politician made me laugh out loud. I had a proper good laugh. Because if you think that our standards, we are hold, we hold our politicians and they hold themselves to a higher standard, then you truly have taken of the, taken of the insane route, as Shakespeare would say. However, Gary, people want to go off and you have to go off and pack a bag because you're going to America. So, and you won't be here next Sunday. So I'm sure the people want to wish you well and bon voyage and hope you don't come back with any of those nasty American ideas that we hear so much about in the Irish Times. All the best.